Well, I can see a bunch of you are here. And if you're here, you're probably not a Patriots fan because, you know, if you are, you would still be moaning and sleeping in. And, but Debbie Dean is here, and she's a Patriots fan, so just get it out of there. Oh, okay, okay. Well, some of us can double dip. They can stay up late and get passionate about church in the morning. But hey, whatever. You guys made it. Uh, it's fabulous that you are here. I'm sorry about the Patriots. But, you know, it is a new decade, uh, and uh, as somebody appropriately pointed out, 2020, uh, 2020, when I remember having 2020 vision, which was like perfect vision, that was a long time ago, but I do remember it, it was a fond remembrance, but if we look at looking forward, like what is it that you're passionate about, or what are you excited about, or what do you want to see changed in your life? And I want to focus on that. I, I want to focus on that particularly uh, in the context of being passionate about Jesus. What a, what a surprise that's going to be. Or uh, being passionate or involved in church. I mean, that's where I want to go today. Uh, just so that you know, as I start drifting off on these rabbit trails, you'd say there is some purpose or theme to this message. Uh, but, you know, I think New Year's resolutions are normally, don't normally change your life. Uh, I think people have good intentions. Uh, I think things that change your life are when you come across something and you just get passionate about it, for whatever reason. Yeah, whatever stage of life you're in or wherever you're at, something happens and you say, I want to learn more about that, or I want to become that, or I want to develop that skill, or I want to move into that opportunity, and uh, you, you notice that your life then uh, changes, or it shifts, because you become desirous or passionate about something. Now, it also obviously depends what stage of life you're in. I mean, when I was uh, 16 and 18, the things that I was passionate about then uh, are not necessarily the things I'm passionate about now. Uh, but there are these stages in our life, like, you know, somehow other, when you're 20, 25, I mean, uh, you become passionate about different things to when you were, say, 18. And when you turn 40, I don't know why it is, but often for people when they're 40, they like, hey, I need to do a career shift, or I need to reevaluate my life. Uh, am I doing the thing that I want to do? And for many, they make a, a career change. And then you get to 50, and all of a sudden, it's like, wait, I'm getting old. You know, it's like, I'm 50. Uh, and so you, you start reevaluating life and thinking about things differently as well. But uh, I do want to look at not just have, having life happen to you, but how can we be intentional about experiencing Jesus, about seeing God work in our lives, being used by God, uh, and experience what Jesus is talking about in having a life which has fulfillment and meaning and purpose and uh, that sort of thing. So in one way, I'm kind of following along with Stephen's great sermon last week for those that you... For those of you that were here, uh, you know, Stephen made a couple of very great points, which I just want to reiterate. Now, you can always go back and listen to any of these sermons on our webpage. If you go there, I don't know if it's forward slash backslash 
hashtag slash whatever. I'll leave that up. But somewhere in the web page, you can find sermons, and you just click. I don't know if you double click or single, but you get there and you'll find the sermon somehow. Uh, and you can listen to any of these previous sermons. But one of the things that Stephen said last week is, if you want to add something good to your life, you have to take something out. I mean, you, we can't, as an overcommitted society, which has access to a lot, just keep adding and adding things to our lives. At some point, we have to say, wait, I have to take something out. And often it's like, what is taking up your time? Uh, how are you allocating your time? And you, if you want to add something good, you have to figure out how you're going to do that from a time standpoint uh, and a commitment standpoint. But let me just uh, pray before I jump into uh, some scripture here. Jesus, I just pray for this upcoming year. I pray that it would be an absolutely fantastic year for every person present. And Lord, I just pray that there would be a sense of purpose, no matter, no matter what age people are at or what stage they're at or what heartaches they've gone through or blessings they've experienced, but that this year, starting today with this message, there would be a sense of purpose in you, that you're involved in our lives, and that you're guiding us, and that you're doing good things in us. So Lord, I just pray for today, for this message, you'd put power on it, you'd speak to each person individually, in your name, Jesus. Amen. There's a parable that I want to start with, and I, it's, it's probably the shortest parable in the Bible. It's one sentence long, uh, but it's one of those parables that, you know, you, you kind of don't want to just like read the sentence and then move on. It's like, wait, I've got to just pause here for a second and just think about this parable. And uh, it's Jesus, and he's talking about the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, as it's uh, stated in Matthew. So Matthew 13, 44, it says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Now, what I particularly uh, like about this <laughs> parable is it captures where we're at with our passions. And uh, Jesus is saying, when you find something, or when you get passionate about something in life, I mean, like when you're really passionate about it, like maybe you're falling in love with somebody. I mean, you just like do everything, you know, to be together and make the effort and you talk like forever. Or like maybe you're passionate about getting into, you know, a certain college. I mean, you look at the college and you know everything about the college and you idolize the thing and you make every effort to get in and you just become all consumed with that, if, if that's where you're at. But I mean, this idea of like, okay, I found a treasure. And, uh, and Jesus is saying uh, something here which is so interesting. He says, when you've discovered who Jesus is, when you've discovered that Jesus is actually a treasure, something strange happens within us. Without being forced to, there's something in us which says, I want to find out more. Uh, it becomes um, a passion. And uh, this parable, as Jesus describes it, uh, really could be describing my life. 
for sure, and, and I'm sure for many of you too. And at the same time, it could be the complete mystery with all your friends and family, which think, like, why are you so passionate about Jesus or church? Or like, you know, people look at you like, he's just kind of crazy. And yet, <laughs> again, when the Spirit of God does something in you, uh, there's a passion. And in this particular parable, Jesus describes it this way. He says, once you've found this hidden treasure, you will risk like everything. You sell everything you've got, you'll put everything on hold, and uh, you know, in this parable, the guy buries the treasure again, sells everything he's got so he can buy the field, so that he can obtain this treasure. But what I, again, this is where you just like put the pause on this, on this one little verse, and what's so fascinating is that on the one hand, it's like the guy's risking everything. He's selling everything to buy the field. But on the other hand, he's like risking nothing. I mean, he's really knows that there's like a treasure there. So as soon as he buys the field, he's, he's got it. And it's like that with our pursuit of Jesus. On the one hand, it's like, man, Jesus can be so captivating. I want everything. And you know it'll be like all-consuming and super exciting. And it's super risky. And yes, I've got to make these moves and do what Jesus asked me to do. But on the other hand... It's not risky at all because God is super awesome and he does great things in our lives and he gives us such a sense of purpose and meaning and, and changes us for the better, you know, from being scoundrels to being what God would call holy. I mean, it's just remarkable. Uh, but there's this passion. The other part that I like about this one-liner is that Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven. And it's like, Wait, this is more mysterious. He's not saying me, and yet the kingdom of heaven, like obviously, is focused and central around Jesus. But you get a sense here that Jesus is talking about something bigger and more mysterious, and it's like you want to find out more about it. So there's an intellectual side where, okay, well, let me read about the kingdom of heaven. Let me read every verse in the Bible about the kingdom of heaven. And I would say that's a great idea. You should do that. And then when you read every verse about the kingdom of heaven, you realize that, wait, this is more complicated than I thought. It's not future. It's not necessarily only future. It's not only the present. There's an interim and an in-between. And, and I sense God working like in the future and the present and the present and the future. And, and it's like, this is actually pretty interesting. It's exciting. And then, not only is it intellectual, but experientially, you start realizing that too. And it's like, God, I just want uh, more of you. So I think what is a good idea for a new year, uh, not necessarily a resolution, but uh, just starting out a new decade, starting out a new year, is to do some form of evaluation of where you're at. And saying, okay, you know, I sense that I'm passionate about Jesus. Or you might just evaluate and you say, no, I, I'm not passionate about Jesus, but I am interested in exploring. I mean, at least I want to find out more about Jesus. And so the next obvious question is, well, how are you going to do that? Or you might be where many of you are at. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been coming to church for, you know, 20 plus years or some of you 50 plus years. And, you know, how do you stay passionate about Jesus in that scenario. 
And I'm saying, absolutely you can. But the starting point is evaluating where you're at and realizing that there is more and how do you get to that more. Uh, that's what uh, I want to look at today. But starting off with, if you've got a bulletin and you want to follow along inside, uh, there's an insert. My first point that I'm trying to make here is a focus and willingness to follow Jesus. And so you, you, know, you do a self-evaluation. You say, wait, am I really focused on Jesus? Yes or no? And is there a willingness in my heart to really pursue the things of God or of Jesus? Yes or no? Or am I kind of like, you know, kind of like not so excited? And then we think about some of the scripture that Jesus says, like if you're like lukewarm and you're not passionate about, it doesn't go in a good direction. Jesus is encouraging us to be passionate and excited about him. And uh, then we think about some of the encounters that Jesus had with people, like in really many ways, people like us. Uh, the one story in, the, in, in Luke 18.22, it says this, when Jesus heard his answer, he said, There's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, obviously, when you parachute into a verse like that, it's like, wait, what's going on? And the guy is coming up to Jesus, and it could be a guy just like you. He's uh, super wealthy, just like you. And he's also a guy that would consider himself a good guy. I mean, like he's a good guy. And Jesus being Jesus, he kind of can sense it. He says, wait, this is a guy that is Jewish. So obviously, you know, church hadn't started yet. Jesus is still like doing his earthly ministry. So he's doing the equivalent of church, Jewish, in the synagogue, he is involved. He probably attends regularly. He's familiar with the Bible, the Old Testament. And uh, he would consider himself a good guy. And so Jesus kind of feeds him. He says, well, you know, uh, the guy's question is, well, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? You know, what is the kingdom of God all about? There's something in this guy that's like, I know there's more, but I'm kind of bored. Uh, I, Jesus, I've got a question for you. I'm really a good guy. I go to church regularly, synagogue. Uh, and Jesus says, well, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, what you need to do is not commit adultery. And the guy's like, well, haven't committed adultery. Uh, don't murder anybody. And the guy's like, I'm a good guy, man. I haven't murdered anybody either. Honor your mother and father. What? I've done that too. And now the guy's feeling pretty good. And then this phrase comes along. So just when the guy's feeling like, okay, I've done everything, Jesus says, well, just sell all your possessions and come and follow me. And you can just see Jesus kind of walking off and the guy's like, are you kidding me? Like everything? And Jesus like, yeah, everything. Wow. But I love it. I absolutely love it because this is Jesus. I mean, Jesus is just radical. He's like, no. He knew that for this particular guy, if he wanted to experience more of the kingdom and experience God, he was going to have to give up his wealth. I mean, in this particular case. And he had to have a new passion to follow Jesus. And that's how Jesus is. He challenges us. 
And it's always like a big bar. It's always something that feels insurmountable. Or the risk is just so great. And yet we know that we can never risk too much or feel like we're doing too much for Jesus. If we're doing it in the right spirit, it's always awesome. Uh, later on, after Jesus resurrected, the Apostle Paul has a similar encounter. And uh, in Philippians 3, 7 and 8, he experiences his passion for Jesus this way. And in a similar way, Paul is like intellectual. Paul was a good Jew. Paul was like a pedigree. I mean, he came from the right lines. He did the right studying. He did all the right things. He was just the right type of guy. But the difference with Paul was he was passionate. And he was passionate about his form of Judaism. The only problem was when he encountered Jesus, he said, look, you're super passionate, but it's just a little misdirected. Let me just point you in this way, Paul. And then when Paul's experienced that part of Jesus and he's seen his life being transformed, he says this in Philippians 3, 7 and 8. I once thought these things were valuable, all his uh, Jewish pedigree, upbringing, and all the things that he did. And then he says this, which is just like pretty strong language. I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. There's just this massive contrast in his life. Like, I used to be passionate about all these things. I mean, it's like, I used to be passionate about the Patriots until they lost last night. You know, it's like, now I've got like something else. Like, let me move on to... No, Paul, like, he was like, I was passionate about trying to do God stuff. And then he's encountered Jesus, and he's experienced Jesus, and he's experienced what living with Jesus is like, and he looks back, and he says, man, all that I did in the past was totally useless. It was a waste of time. It was worthless. And we're sitting there thinking, wait, it's not worthless like really knowing the Old Testament and really knowing, yeah, I mean, God used it. But from Paul's standpoint, he's saying, I consider them now worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now wait, when he's saying knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, he's not talking about the theoretical intellectual knowledge that he had before. He's saying he's talking about knowing Christ like God is working in my life. I'm seeing God do stuff in me, around me, and I'm part of what God is doing, and it's awesome. I mean, it's captivating. And Paul is saying, I want more of that. And when God is doing stuff in my life and in your life, and when God gives you a little window like, hey, try this or love on this person, and you do it, it's super fulfilling. It's like, you can't really explain why it's fulfilling. It just is super fulfilling. And so the Apostle Paul says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. And again, I, I just kind of like this strong language because it is, Paul is saying, listen, when we've experienced God, when we see God working in our lives, everything else just pales. 
And there's this desire in us, and there should be a desire in each one of us, to say, God, use me. God, what are you doing in, in, in and around me? God, please will you guide me in my life? Please can you highlight and show me and lead me and direct me in ways that I can't figure out myself, but you know. And then when we do these little steps and we kind of think, God, is this you? Is it not you? And finally we realize, hey, it is God. And God did do it, which is another great thing. Rather than doing a resolution for 2020 and sit and ponder just a little bit on like, what are the awesome things that God has done in your life where you can say, this was definitely Jesus. This was God. And when you think about it, yeah, you start realizing that there's some pretty fantastic things. Well, I have to go back to some of the basics. If you want to experience God and have a vital life in God, and uh, there are some things which God uh, is requiring of us. And one of them would be to read the Bible. I mean, we can read the Bible on so many different levels. One is just like, what the heck does it say? The other one is like, what does it say historically? The other one could be, I don't know, archaeologically or geologically or whatever, scientifically. You could read it for a whole bunch of different reasons. But the reason why people read the Bible again and again and again and again is because we want God to speak to us. And this is the primary vehicle that God uses to speak to us. And it's why when you read a passage which you've read 20 times before, but this particular time you read it, it's like, God, this is relevant. That's normal Christianity. That's what the Spirit of the living God does with the Word of God, His Word. And so one of our challenges, and one of my challenges as a leader, is how do I encourage you and how do I encourage myself to stay passionate about reading the Word of God, the Bible, when I've already read it many, many times. I mean, especially when you get bogged down into some of the books like Leviticus, and they're long, and if you're not a, somebody that likes reading voluminous material, it's like, what the heck has this got to do with my life today? And it's, But there's value there. So each year, I like to try and challenge you or give you the opportunity of uh, how do you digest the Bible in bite-sized chunks, which is helpful and meaningful to you. And I've given Bible plans and different ideas throughout time. But today I want to uh, just highlight uh, something called the Bible Project. And within the Bible Project, which are they mostly known because they're doing pretty awesome little videos, but there's an app in the Bible Project that you can download, which is this one. It says Read Scripture. And then when you click on it, it's got these things. So it says, welcome, obviously. And then you can do, okay, creation and fall, Genesis 1 through 11. And then you hit on that one. You say, okay, I'm going to do this. And then you watch this little video. And here's the fun thing about it. This is why I highly recommend it. What these guys have done really well is they've taken the meta-narrative of Scripture, the big idea, the big picture, and they've condensed it down into a short almost like a kiddie like, um, video clip. But they're saying, okay, here's Genesis. Here's what's happening in Genesis. Here's the big theme of Genesis. And this is where, where it's leading. And this is how you get to see Christ in this particular part of Genesis. And then what it does, it says, okay, 
you watch the little clip and it says, okay, here's your daily reading. It'll be a bunch from Genesis. And then it'll say, okay, here's a psalm to read that goes along with that, blah, blah, blah. And then you can go along with it at your own pace and you can do it in a group or you can whatever from there. But all I'm saying is consider that as a way of staying, you know, in the Bible, reading it fresh, enjoying it. And if you've got a better plan or you, you know, reading through the Bible in five years with, a plan just stick to whatever works for you all i'm saying is do an evaluation are you in the bible regularly is the bible part of your daily habit is it relevant and exciting for you if it is keep doing what you're doing if you've got a little stale or you've gotten out of the habit i'm just encouraging you to get back in i mean this is not rocket science uh, but i'm trying to say if you want to be intentional about jesus and see jesus work in your life you kind of have to get into uh, where the bible's at and where you're at. Uh, another part of uh, this, a big part of this, is being involved in some format of small group. Uh, it's never just you and God. You'll notice that throughout the Bible, God is always using people. And God uses you. And people don't like exist on an island in isolation. Uh, we exist in communities with other people. And God uses people to influence you. God uses people to help you realize who He is uh, through other people, like I'm doing today. You are learning about God and Jesus through a person, that's me, uh, talking about Jesus through His Word. God has designed us to be connected in small groups and in groups to learn and experience who He is. That's all I want to say on that. But here's where I want to go for a, few, a minute or two, uh, and that is church. Church is so uh, mysterious. Church is so hard for us to get our arms around. It is so like each church has its own like personality. The mysterious thing about church is this. It's been around for 2,000 years. No corporation has been around that long. I mean, church just... And, you know, when we look at church... It's so easy for us to see all the bad parts of church. I mean, honestly, and often that's the first thing that comes up. And if you're talking to non-believers like I am, the first thing they'll tell you is everything bad about church and church leaders. And, and you know, when you listen, you have to say, well, yeah, you're right, actually. But there's something else going on here. And they know it too because they're like, Man, how can something be so bad, so corrupt, but still be so vibrant and keep going? And more interestingly, why are you, or me, so passionate about it? And it's like, okay, great, let me tell you. I'm ready to tell you why I'm passionate about it. And that's what God wants you to do. But, you know, every church has a personality. Every church has things which are great and things that are bad. One of the things I love about traveling or going uh, out of here is visiting other churches. So this last week, I was away for uh, New Year, between Christmas and New Year with my family. We were up in Ohio, and uh, I wanted to go to my son's church, but he was sick, so we ended up going to another church. And, yeah, it's hard to choose a church. I'm like, okay. And so in the particular town we were in, there was a Catholic church, there was a Methodist church, and there was an Assemblies of God church. So I said, well, okay, we'll go to Assemblies of God church. Now I've got my daughter and her husband... My mom, my wife, and I, and we go. And I'm like, what's this going to be like? 
I mean, you don't know what you're walking into, but I know that I want to go to church. I don't care if it's good, bad, indifferent, whatever. I just want to experience it. So we go in, and I'm like, man, we're off to a good start. They got Starbucks coffee right there labeled. And not only that, it's dark roast. I, I am like so impressed. I'm like, okay, this is a small church, and it's kind of old. And it's like, visually, I'm like, man, it looks like I'm in the 70s. Uh, but they got Starbucks dark roast coffee. So I, I, you can imagine, I'm super excited. But I'm, I got distracted. I was talking to somebody else, and I noticed my uh, son-in-law took coffee, my wife took coffee, and I took coffee. And uh, I had a sip of the coffee. I'm like, I, I, I've got to try this again. Take another sip. I'm like, I can tell you that this ain't Starbucks. <laughs> And I'm like, no, it's got to be good. And I'm like, man, but there's this metallic aftertaste. I mean, maybe more like Frisco instant coffee. It's good. And then I notice and I see my wife put her coffee in the trash. My brother-in-law's put his full cup in the trash. And I take mine, I'm like, in the trash. And I'm like, and I'm thinking, man, this is so church-like. You know, it's like, can't we just do like good coffee? But it, what happens with church people, they say, no, we're going to save the money. And so they like buy Frisco or whatever, and they put it in, and they have Starbucks in the name. I don't know what went wrong with the thing. But man, I'm saying, let's not do coffee. I mean, either do like no coffee, or let's do it well. Now, I know it's going to cost money, and I know it's more expensive, blah, 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 blah. Okay, now what have I just done? I've just been like super critical of church. There's one problem here. It's easy to criticize church. But when you look at Jesus' vision, or the way Jesus looks at church, it's like, wow. Okay, I need to get in line with the way Jesus looks at church. I mean, the way Jesus looks at church, it's pretty astonishing. I mean, what I've just done, and which I shouldn't have shared from the poll, but I know, <laughs> dashing church. It's like going to a wedding, and you sit at the wedding, and you say, man, the bride is really ugly. I mean, she's so <laughs> ugly. I mean, who would do that? You would not go to a wedding and say the bride is ugly. You just would not do that. But that's what we do. That's exactly what we do. I mean, you know, if you look at what Jesus says, or what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 5, about the church, it's pretty astonishing. I mean, he's linking it to, to marriage. And so many times when we read this, section, we, we're thinking about it in terms of marriage, we're not thinking about it in terms of church. Now, the way Paul's written it, they're so interrelated that I can't read the church part without reading the marriage part, but I don't want you to get focused on the marriage part, I want you to focus on the church part, so stay with me. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. Okay. He gave up his life for her. Wait, I thought Jesus died for me. No, Jesus also died for the church. Wait a bit. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Wow. Okay. So in other words, we Jesus knows that the church is going to mess up. But in his divine providence, he also knows that the church is going to be holy and made clean by his word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Indeed, she will be holy and without fault. Wow. 
Is that the way we see church? Uh-uh. But it's the way Jesus sees church. Now, I have to agree with the Word of God. I have to agree with, with it. Now, I go to this church service and like, okay, I'm a pastor. I'm super critical about like sermons. And the pastor's opening line was, hey, he lost his sock in his washing and that like he got missed. And what do you know? I mean, like that's where you find your lost sock. It's in the sleeve of your washing. And I'm like, dude, like, where are you going with this message? And he was going nowhere with that message. He just lost his sock that morning. I'm like, okay. But here's the thing. God spoke to me during that service. And that's what God does mysteriously in his church. And you know what? What God spoke to me, he didn't speak to anybody else in our family. I don't know what they got out of the church service, but I got something out of it. And I left there feeling inspired and uplifted by God in the most unusual or different way. But that's how God works. I've had many people repeatedly over the time that I've been a pastor here say to me, Rob, that was just a great message. And then I've learned to say, well, what resonated with you? And invariably what resonated with people is nothing what I said. I'm like, I didn't actually say that. Like, how did... And then I realized, wait, but the Holy Spirit is actually active and alive and he uses, you know, some of these things to actually work and speak and, and gets the job done. Church is just, like, if you look at the good side of church or the fascinating side of church, it's, like, incredible. It, only a supernatural being could make church go and continue and be awesome and have lives changed the way it does. So anyway, I mean, this... Uh, little section of, Christ, uh, of the Scripture ends with something which we're familiar with when we do marriages. The Scripture says, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. Now, here's the part. This is a great mystery. No kidding. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Ah, Christ and the church are one. There is something like you just can't be a Christian without the church. I mean, I mean, I know theologically you can. You can be saved and you can have connect. But if you don't, if you're not in a church connected to church, you will just like will die, get dry. It just will. And if you do a nice little vision thing in your life, like I did, I was just reflecting back and I was thinking, you know, it's a new decade. And I'm super young. I'm like, you know, great that I'm not getting old like anybody else. And, and, but I was, I was reflecting. I was thinking, you know, almost every great, incredible thing that's happened over my life has happened in and through church. I mean, it's actually quite remarkable. I mean, I got saved in church, in a pastor's office. He explained to me who Jesus was. And when I received Christ, you know what happened? Absolutely nothing. No fireworks. I didn't feel changed. I just asked Jesus into my life. He said, well, you need to confess that you're a sinner. And I was like this guy in the Bible. I'm a good guy. I'm not a sinner. And he said, well, you're not perfect. I'm like, no, I'm not perfect. Well, you need to be perfect. Oh, okay. Well, if I'm not perfect, Jesus said he'll save me for my sins. Good. Great. Okay. I was in a good place in my life. I received Christ. Didn't see any change in my life straight away. But let me tell you, within a week, Everything started changing. My views on marriage, my political views, my career desires, everything started like changing. 
And then I met my wife. Well, I met my wife before I became a Christian, but we got married because of church, because of Jesus. I mean, good things that have happened in my life. It's just been things that I would never have done. Do Go to places that are high risk, serving the poor in an area where white people would be killed. Why? Because of church. Somebody by the name of Desmond Tutu said something about going to the poor and serving and what seemed like total foolishness to me a year before. I became like, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to experiment with it. And we did it. And it changed me. It changed me tremendously. I remember being invited like this. Only God could do this. The former archbishop invites me personally. I mean, imagine this. I was in, a, in a, an Anglican church. So if you're Catholic background, imagine the Pope saying, Hey, you, I want to meet with you in my house because I want to pray for you. And you would be like, why me? And what do you want to pray for me for? Well, that was my experience. The archbishop was an Anglican at that point. The archbishop, former archbishop before Desmond Tutu, said, I want to meet with you, me, in my living room, Monday morning, and I want to pray for you. And I'm like, okay, like, what have I done? Why do you want to pray? And he laid his hands on me, and he started praying for me, and I experienced the love of God in a way that, I mean, I was bawling my eyes out, I was shaking, and I'm like, I can't make head or tails of this. I knew something had happened, but I could not understand it intellectually, I could not understand why he chose me, I could not understand why he prayed what he prayed, I just knew that, I'd experienced and encountered the love of God in a way that was super profound. I mean, just it just was. But it's not always about receiving God. It's also sometimes being used by God. I mean, two years ago, I, I think I shared this story, so excuse me if I'm repeating myself. But we're in Portugal. Uh, we, we're meeting with a, a guy that's doing a church plant there. And we're walking around Lisbon. He's showing us around Lisbon. And, and, and I'm kind of, we, we, a group of us pastors have been praying for the city of, of Lisbon. And we're going back to his house, and I'm at the back of the pack, and they sort of the bottom of the street, and I'm just kind of ambling along. I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. And as I'm walking along, I feel like God say to me, that guy that you just passed, stop and tell him that, that God knows about him, and he's got leadership thing. And I'm literally, I'm walking like this, and I, I look ahead, and I see, wait, the group that I'm following is about to go around the corner, and I don't really know where I am. And I'm seeing this guy, and there's like a guy who's in his late 20s sitting on the, te- the steps, and he's on his phone, and he's doing what, you know, folks do on the phones. And I'm like, wait, God, is this really you? Uh, wait, I don't even speak Portuguese. So I'm like, these guys are going around the corner. I... Hey, dude, like, do you speak English? And the guy's like, answers me in perfect English. Yeah, I speak English. And I'm like, again, hey, they got around the corner. Let's not take... Listen, Jesus has something to say to you. He wants you to... I don't, can't remember the exact words, but it was something like, exercise the leadership that he's put on you. And I'm about to leave. The guy starts bawling his eyes out. He grabs me and he hugs me. And I'm like, dude, i got to go. They're around the corner. Have a great life. See you later. Now, the question is this. Who was more blessed? The dude that like 
now realizes that God, I mean, God was doing something in it. And people don't just start bawling their eyes out when you say one sentence to them and you're a random stranger, right? They're just, that's not normal. But something happened to him. So God was doing clearly something in his life. Awesome for him. But hey, I enjoyed that experience. Particularly when I caught up to the group and I wasn't lost in Lisbon. Then I enjoyed it more. But, you know, I'm like, hey, that was cool. It was cool being used by God. And, and that's how God wants to use all of us. Whether it's prophetic, whether it's encouraging people, whatever, whatever. Okay. Let me just summarize and finish up here. And I'm going a little bit long here. I just want to encourage you to make Christ and church a priority in your life this year. Uh, one of the things that the Apostle Paul says, which is really interesting, he talks to the people and he says to his people uh, in the book of Philippians 1 through 5, he says this. Let me just read it quickly. This letter is from uh, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi, which you could say God is talking to his holy people here in Hopkinson at the vineyard, who belong to Christ Jesus, including church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard about it until now. Here's the point. When you're part of church, you are in partnership with what God is doing in Hopkinton or in the town that you live in. And as you participate in church or support us as leaders or become leaders, we are partners and you partnering with us and I'm partnering with you to do the work of God. And so as I thought about membership for the church, I said, uh, you know, church is not a country club. It's not like you pay like, you know, or firstly you have to be recommended before you can join the club and then you pay like a big upfront fee and then you pay a fee for everything you use in the country club. Some churches seem to feel that way. Uh, but what I'm saying is, if you want to be part, considered a member of this church, really what I'm saying is you should be a partner. And I put this very fantastic, handy-dandy seven uh, steps of what it means to be a commitment, my commitment to partnership in the church. Now again, I hate putting bullets and inserts into this thing. I hate when you open the insert and like all the stuff falls out and whatever. So uh, I know I keep setting these bad precedents, leading not by example. Uh, so if you're a leader in the church, and I know next week you want me to put your muffin drive thing in the insert. No, 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 no. But I'm putting mine in just because, there, whatever. And there it is. So you can read it. And basically it's saying, listen, if you want to be a partner, you want to do church with us, this is what it looks like. This is what membership looks like. This is what it means to be belong to this church. You need to know Jesus. You need a desire to grow spiritually. You need to look at the passage we looked at today, the kingdom of God. That's, we, we, we love that phrase and we love what it means. Uh, I, you should participate in church service regularly. Be part of a small group. Why? Because it will help you and it will help you help others. Uh, support us financially. Promote the church you know, with unity and, and health and invite your friends. Now, mostly you just vote with your feet. And what I'm saying is our membership is kind of loose, but it's also kind of like important. 
So I want you to do this. As you go out, you'll see I put a big poster in the lobby. And if you say, uh, I'm a member of this church, or you consider yourself, or you evaluate yourself to be a member, let me just change the language and say, I want to partner with this church. And if those seven things are good with you, then just sign your name or write your name or something on the, on the board. And if you're not there and you don't want to do that, that's fine, you don't have to do it. All I want to do with that poster is have you like realize, okay, today I'm, I want to make a decision to put Jesus first and to be part of the church. That's, that's what I'm trying to help you to do. Just like, okay, I'm making this commitment. And that's the commitment you're making. Why don't you stand and let us worship the Lord, and then we're going to do communion. And again, communion is a thing done in church together, and yet it's an individual commitment to the Lord. Jesus, I just thank you that you love each one of us, that you love your church. And as flawed as we are as people and as flawed as we are as a church, you choose to see us as your holy people. And you know that in the end, you will make us perfect and holy. And we will walk with you and see you face to face and experience your love completely without mystery. But Lord, we also realize that you use the church and people in the church now. So Lord, we just desire to be together and to work through our differences and our discomfort, because we want to experience more of you. And now, Lord, we want to worship you and focus on you, put our focus on you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.